Thank you, Brian, for uh, leading us in worship. How many have enjoyed the worship? Am I on? You hear me? You good? Okay. Hopefully you brought your little inventory card. I had requested that you did, uh, just for reference this morning. Last night and this morning kind of go together. I know last night for a lot of you, uh, it's something you've never heard before, never experienced, never been led in that direction. I, I used that method of how we let God dig into our life from the process of my own life. I was asked this morning, uh, what's the end of the story with you and your wife? Like you talked about a crashing time of your life. Uh, the good news of that time in my life 18 years ago is God did a, a great work in my life and my wife's life and we became two new people, a new husband and father, a new wife and mother, and we're still going strong. 39 years of marriage, four kids and nine grandkids. Yeah, that's to God's glory. It's never too late to start, so for the counselors in the room, feel free to fill out a card, an inventory sheet. <laughs> I was 35 when I did this process. Let me tell you this. Here, here's what I remember from those days. Now listen, if you had asked anybody in my youth group, 200 kids, I was a great guy. You see, what I, what I wasn't was a great father. I had these issues in my life that left me so broken, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I could, I could be compassionate to any student in my group, but I was really a jerk at home. I was a control freak Gestapo to my own kids. I was a control freak and compassionless to my wife and kids. I would belittle her. I would, I would say, please, what's wrong? What's going on with you? And she'd try to tell me what's wrong. And I'd say, that's stupid. You shouldn't feel that way. I, I, I am embarrassed to admit the guy I was. And God did a massive healing in my heart. Two-year process. And on the other side of that, I was a different father and a different husband. It's kind of a joke when we have a family reunion. We go back to Huntington Beach. Most of my kids are there. My oldest daughter is 39. That's how old I am. <laughs> my youngest son is 27. My oldest grandson is a senior in high school. I'm an old guy. When we go back to have the family all together at Huntington Beach, it's kind of a joke that, you know, the older two kids that are 38 and 39, they say, well, yeah, you know, it was great. You had the good dad. We had the jerk. That's kind of what it was. <laughs> when I had my transformation, the, the younger two kind of got the new guy that was, had a heart of compassion that really showed love. And hey, I, I'm just saying we're all here to understand you're not alone. You're not alone in your struggle. You found out last night, if you met in your group and you talked, you realized, hey, I'm, I, I felt like I was the only one struggling, having these issues. And what you found out is you're not alone. And you're not meant to go through it alone. We're going to find out today. Isolation is not your friend. Maybe you're the one here today that's still, that's still holding off. You're still behind the guard of vulnerability. And so your, your view is, I'm good. I don't really have any issues Nothing really going wrong in my life. I don't really sin. I don't have any, I'm, I'm good. That, that's okay. I, I encourage you to let that wall down because we're all broken, desperately needing Jesus. The right place to be as I admit that I am totally powerless to fix my stuff and my life is unmanageable. That's not a weak place to wind up. That's, that's the place we need to wind up. But because we, we are, you're totally powerless to fix the stuff on your list. But Jesus is completely powerful enough to fix the stuff on your list. And when you'll admit it and get him involved, he can do and work in you. So I encourage you, if you're still the one sitting back saying, I'm good, no problems, 
yeah, just, just drop that wall down. It's a safe place. So today, let there be light. Here's the thought for this morning. God is the light that heals our hearts once we know what we didn't know. Once we see the inventory of our lives, the things we've become because of what's been done and what's been done, what we've done and what's been done to us, we can begin working through the power of Jesus on becoming something new and removing those things that have held us captive. We want to give you a kind of a how-to, what do I do with this list now, that it's exposed, that it's out there. We're going to go back to John 8, 12 to start with. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You will not have to walk in the darkness of your fear or the darkness of your sin or the darkness of your issues that you have hidden. You don't got to walk in that darkness anymore. You can bring it into the light, the safe place where Jesus Christ can do a work. But he says, but we'll have the light of life. All the stuff we've kept buried in the closet, we've kind of taken it out. We set it on the table last night, and we're shining a big light on it. It's nasty. It smells. It's not fun, but it's the real stuff in our life, and that's where it needs to be, in the light. And as you allow Jesus to work in your heart, he can remove those dark things, replace them with his good things, the ways you need to be. Look at this statement. These are the most common struggles among teens from the things they've done and the things that have done to them. Here's the kind of the top. There's many more, but here's the kind of the, over the years, the top list. Hurt and been abused. Now, I want you to notice that, just so you understand how, how life works, hurt and been abused on that paper, they're in a category by themselves. That's the list of events of your life. From birth to 15, whatever you are, you got three types of events. You got the good stuff, the bad stuff, and the ugly stuff. We all got all three. Some people I've counseled have tons of good stuff and a few bad things in that one ugly thing. And then some students I've counseled, they only have a few things that are good, a whole bunch of bad stuff, and a truckload of ugly stuff. Life is different for different people. So on the list, hurt and been abused, that, that lists the category of relationship-based events you've had, the facts of what's happened. Everything else on the list came out of those events. So that's why we got to go back. we got to go back to go forward. we got to talk about what happened, who was there, what did they do, what did I do. But the top ones are this, resentment, hate, unforgiveness, no trust, anger, abandonment, depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicidal thoughts, guilt, and worthlessness. And if you've been real, and you've circled what describes you, that's not your identity. That is what you've become, and you can become something else. And God will help you. He will heal you along the way. If you will let him work in your life, which is a scary thing to admit, right, to believe, to trust. in. When I talk about trusting Jesus, I don't mean just trust him for your salvation. Can you entrust your life to him, your daily living to him? That's what we're asking for today. John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light, that's putting all the stuff that we admit, now it's exposed to Jesus. If we walk in that light, he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. You know, if you, if you live in kind of a denial, like, like the, the real you doesn't show up for school, you got the smile on and you, you know, like you're trying to be everything everybody else wants you to be, you're not, the, you're not being real. It's hard to have true fellowship. You can have surface-level fellowship. If you're not real transparent and vulnerable with somebody in your life, if you've always got the mask on, kind of guarding against the real things in your heart, what the, what the Word is saying here is you can't have fellowship with one another. You'll have surface-level friends, surface-level relationship with Jesus, 
And so the hope is as God shines his light in your heart and you let him live in you, you can have true fellowship with one another. That's why we're doing this in group with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, the sins I commit, the sins committed against me. He can heal all my life and cleanse me. How do we allow the light of Jesus to work in the dark areas of our life and begin the healing process? Let me give you three things to focus on. We started last night with this. God's helped us know what we didn't know we didn't know, right? We got real. So the first thing is face the truth. You got to face the truth about your life. The light of Jesus reflects back to us what we've become. When I first got this kind of direction from God in my life, I'm sitting on my couch, life's breaking down. I'm 15 years into ministry. The, the situation I talked about last night is kind of coming to a boil. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, God, with my life, with who I am, with my wife. She's gone crazy. I'm all messed up. And I'm watching this show on TV. It's, it's Shark Week. You may watch Shark Week. Kind of scary because I'm a surfer, and so after I watch Shark Week, I'm like, I'm going to stay out of water for a couple weeks. I'm watching Shark Week, just minding my own business as a documentary, and the sharks are going by. And I don't know if you've noticed this, if you ever watch a documentary on sharks, they have like sucker fish attached to their bellies. Like they'll come alongside and they'll suck up against the shark, and they'll just attach, and they'll just swim along with the shark. The shark doesn't even know they're on them. They're, they're, they're suckers, and they're attached to their belly, and they're sucking nutrients out of the shark. And the shark has no idea they're attached to them. And God, show me, Grant, that's what's going on in your life. These spiritual strongholds in your life are attached to you. You're living your life, and it's sucking the life out of you. It's changing who you're becoming, and you don't even know it. And the light bulb just went on. It's like, you've got to face the truth. You see, facing the truth is like a surgery. Think about a surgery. I have a friend who had cancer. He went in for surgery. If you think about it now, surgery is like you go into the hospital, you pay somebody. It's a self-inflicted wound. You pay somebody to cut you open and take something out. Is that crazy? Who does that? I would just sign up for that. Not only are they going to do it, I'm going to pay you to do it. Well, as crazy as that sounds, that's what you do because that's your alternative. Like, you're going to die if you don't. And so facing the real truth about your life is that intense and intentional it, it's, it's opening somebody up, taking out stuff from the inside out, closing it back up, and so now, now the only, the only the outside stuff is attacking you. Because if we got the inside attacking us, plus the outside attacking us, we're broken. And strongholds in your life, the stuff on your list, like cancer, you got to go beyond realizing it. It's, it's more than just, okay, now I admit, this is my stuff, you're no better off than when you didn't know. Like, I went to the doctor, got a CAT scan, found out I had brain cancer. I'm good. No. Now that you know what you didn't know, you've got you to get treatment. You've got to do something about it. So just knowing what's in your life and the things that are holding you down, it's not enough. You've got to do something about it. You've got to go forward and get treatment like if you had cancer. Cancer doesn't stay where it is. It eats cells. Its job is to take your body over. Strongholds of your life are the same way. Don't think, well, I'm 15. What's the big deal? I'm just going to, you know, I'll deal with it later. When I counsel kids your age, I tell them, hey, you want to be 60 years old on your fourth marriage and all four kids hate you? No. I say, well, I talk to those people. When I talk to them, we find out that the stuff they had as teenagers that they didn't deal with followed them through their life, and every marriage they wind up in, there they are. So now is the time to deal with life. B, 
being real, facing the truth. Here's what I've learned over some times in my life when I was facing the brokenness of my life, the issues of my life. God was shining the light about what I've become in my life. I found this stuff out, that uh, when I'm hurting, I hurt people. Because hurting people, they hurt people. And it's usually those closest to us. Here's something else he showed me. When I came to the end of myself, there Jesus was. When I decided I can't do it, I can't fix this, I can't be bigger, stronger, better, suck it up, man up. When I came to the end of that, Jesus is right there ready to do work in my life. I found this was very important to me. I found that unforgiveness was killing me. Hmm. That guy don't deserve to be forgiven for what he did to me. He did that on purpose. He'd do it again. He did tragic stuff to my life. Why would I forgive him? You see, unforgiveness is a prison we put people in, and that prison is you. I had a girl I worked with. She was eight years old when her dad began molesting her. He was the pastor of their church. Tragic. I met her at about 15. This was several years ago. We begin working through the process of God healing her brokenness. Can you imagine? What do I tell this kid? Do I tell her God will never leave you or forsake you? This is real stuff that real people deal with. Maybe, maybe you in the room have. And as we walk through the process of her healing, which was a three or four year process, she wrote a letter to her dad. We started that. Maybe that's something you got to do. She wrote a, her first letter to her dad was just right out there. This is what you did. That's how it made me feel. I hate you. The last line was, I hope you die and burn in hell. And that's okay. That was her letter. That's what we started with. And then from, the, from there, we began to let God work in her heart. And because her unforgiveness was imprisoning her, not him. And so she had to come to a place, and forgiveness is a place where you don't have the ability to forgive humanly those deep hurts against you. So the right, the real way to be able to forgive is to, instead of looking to how do I forgive the unforgivable, stop, turn the other way, how much have I been forgiven? When you realize the bucket loads of forgiveness you've been given that you did not deserve, he just gave it to you, you can take the forgiveness you have received undeservingly and you can pass it on to somebody who will never deserve it. And that will set you free. I wish that it could be fair to where if he says he's sorry and he has to suffer, we're good. That's not going to be the case. If that was the case, I wouldn't be forgiven. <laughs> I was forgiven and I didn't deserve it. That's how you have to move it on to others who don't deserve it. Only through Christ can this happen. That he can help you in your unforgiveness. Many of us have severe brokenness that cause severe bondage in our life. We desperately need the supernatural power of God to break through and heal our lives. That's what we're talking about today. Look at this. We have to face the reality that continuing to live in our brokenness is sin. Even if it was stuff done against you. That's sin in our lives. Because Jesus can completely heal our brokenness, and he gave his life for that healing. Now, to hold on to, see, forgiving someone doesn't say, it's okay what you did, but it kind of feels that way, right? Like, if I forgive him, it's like I'm telling him, it's okay what you did. That's not what forgiveness is. You can forgive, and that doesn't make it okay what he did, or she did, or whatever it was. So, so to not, to hold on to our broken place, 
it's like saying, God, you're not big enough to heal my brokenness, and he is. And so as we release it to him, he completely heals our brokenness. He gave his life to heal our brokenness. The second thing is this, press into Jesus. Now, this journey I'm calling you to take, to work on the issues of your life, you can't do it half-hearted in Jesus. You can't be casual in Jesus and go down this journey. I don't mean knowing about Jesus. I do my Bible study, so I know a little bit about Jesus. I mean, I'm talking about knowing him and the relationship. I'm talking about a deep, passionate, intimate relationship with Jesus. You have to go there. You have to pursue him, chase him down. Who are you, Jesus, that I can know you more? What are your ways that I can make them my ways? I want to know you. I, what I found out was when I was in this place, and I was a pastor, I barely knew Jesus. But I started chasing him down. And I found the more I connected and got close to Jesus, the more I saw how far away I was. It was weird. It was like the depth that is there to be in an intimate, passionate relationship with Jesus. Not a casual, I know about you, like information. But you got to know about him, got to read his word. But knowing him, a, a, a relationship was, was the most meaningful part of my healing and process that God brought to my life. Press into Jesus. There's a story in Mark 5 about a woman who had a sickness for a long time, and the crowds were around Jesus, and she thought, if I could only touch Jesus, I could be healed. This is what her approach was. But see, it says in verse 24, chapter 5 of Mark, a great crowd pressed around him, so she couldn't get to him. And then in verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his garment. You see, there was a great barrier between her and the healer. But she was determined, I'm going to press in. I'm going to get to Jesus. And in your life, there is a great barrier between you and Jesus. And that's the stuff on your list. It's like you can have a relationship with him, but it's minimal. It's casual. It can't be deep. Because that stuff is in between you and him. And we have to press into Jesus. Past the pain, the brokenness, the sins, the wrongs, the things that we hold you know, as our uh, mode of operation. Kind of our, our how to deal with life stuff that's on your list got to get in close to him. Let him do a work in us. Psalms 34, 17, it says, the righteous cry out. Are you the righteous? You are. That means the transparent, the not in denial, the repentant, those who are realizing they're being real with their self, those people that are right living, they're living right now because of what they know is in their life. The righteous, they cry out and the Lord hears them. He is hearing you today. If you're saying, yes, I admit, Here's my list. I'm being real. I'm being vulnerable, transparent. I'm not hiding in the dark, saying nothing's wrong. The Lord hears you. He delivers them from all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe today you're facing that list, and you're saying, God, this is crushing to my life. To be this real, to be this vulnerable, to say stuff I've never said, I feel broken and crushed, and that's the good place to be because Jesus said, I will meet you there. I am close to you. I'm walking you through your process. Here's what I found true in my brokenness, that I wasn't satisfied just knowing a lot about him. I had to press in deeply to him. Remember John 8, 12, I will be the light of your life. I needed that. Get close to Jesus. And when you do, it will always lead you into community. That's what we're talking about here in our groups, in community. Why does he do that? Jesus talked about that, to you know, share life with somebody. Look at James 5.16. Now here's part of the hardest part of this process. <clears throat> now I lead a student recovery group 
where we meet every Tuesday night, and we have a large group kind of do this kind of a setting, and then the group, the girls go in with the girls and a girl leader. Guys go with the guys and a guy leader, and they share life together. And I leave, lead an adult group called Regeneration on Monday nights. There's about 75 adults who come with a list like yours, regular people who got stuff going on, and they get in small groups of 12 or so, and that's their locked-in group, and they work 10 months through the 12 steps of recovery from the broken parts of life. And in those groups, we're really healing work. Why is it this way in James 5.16? This is very key to your future. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So be real and pray for each other so that you might be forgiven. Is that what it says? No. When I confess my stuff to Jesus... He forgives me. I'm already forgiven. What, why this then? What is the point of this? See, we are relational people. He wants us in community. Something about telling it between me and Jesus is, one, is still kind of hidden, but when, and the devil kind of has me on the, on the hold. But when I share my life with other people, God begins the healing process. That's why it says confess your sins to one another, pray for each other, so that you might be healed. You, if you were in a group last night and you just thought, I can't share I'm all alone, nobody struggles here, and you shared your life with people around you, don't you understand the healing process that began that night? And God will continue to do that. That's how he designed it, in community. In, so the, in the same way we were broken through relationship, he brings healing through relationship, all by his power, all by his word. He's doing the work, but because we're relational people and we'd rather hide and not be in community, he says move into community Share your life with one another, and I can bring healing through that process. Now, that's difficult, because you've got to have a safe place. <laughs> and if you're like a lot of people, trust is a big issue. I don't trust, because when I did last, it was broken, and you did me wrong. A lot of people struggle with trust. We trust, remember, we, we hold back people from our heart. If you're dealing with trust, if you're having a trust issue, I understand it. That's a real thing. But God's challenging you to move past it. You see, when we have a trust issue, we put up a barrier around our heart. We keep all the bad people out. Okay, we can be casual. We can kind of smile. We can have friends, but not real friends. You can't get in the circle here. And as you barrier your heart and you keep all the bad out, you keep all the good out too. God's out there too. And so the, the, the real challenge to you today is if you can take the risk of opening your heart up. Oh, you're going to risk because now you have the opportunity to be hurt and done wrong again but you also have the openness to be healed and set free. So the risk comes with the process of healing. And you can entrust your life to God that he will guard your heart and be there for you. Third thing is this. So we have face the truth, press into Jesus. Now do spiritual warfare. You gotta do spiritual warfare. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 10.3. The key word here is we, so it's really saying, hey, you, you can do this. You have been given the power through Jesus to activate his work in your life. Be a part of it. It says we four or five times. Let's read it. For though we, we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. How does the world wage war? You cuss me out, I cuss you back. You stab me in the back, I stab you back. You trash talk me in school, I go trash talk you. That's how the world fights. That's not how we do it. Hmm. Saying right here. We don't wage war that way. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, carnal, of the flesh. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish your list, the strongholds. We demolish arguments. That thing going on in our head, that lie the devil tells us, we destroy that through the power of Christ. And every pretension or, or self-important thing, things that are more important to us than God, maybe our reputation, maybe our name, maybe our friendships, we demolish those things that sets itself up against the knowledge of God or, or knowing God. So these things are more important than knowing God. And he's going to tear those down, down and make God the, the throne of your heart instead of you on the throne of your heart. And then we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's my goal is that as I get into Christ and he heals my heart and we tear down the walls of the enemy and we come against the enemy, we attack him through the spiritual power God has given us. My, my, my thoughts are now covered under Christ because the battle is right here in my head. This is what he promised. What are the weapons of your warfare? There's the word. You better get in the book. The word of God is your weapon. It tells you the truth about you, about God, about others. You've got to know the word. Don't live off what you feel. It goes up and it goes down. You can't trust that. Now, the word is true. It never is wrong. It's always the same. That's a weapon you can have to fight the enemy against you. The word prayer is a powerful tool. I tell people, pray in three areas. You're in a room, in the middle of a room. you got a chair in the middle. Here's how you should pray. Three people, put them in the chair. Put God in the chair. And just, it's all about God. I worship you. I glorify you. Who are you that I can know you more? I want to be like you. You are awesome, amazing. Just all about God. Then move him out and put yourself in the chair. That's all about you. God, help me. I'm broken. Fix this. Show me what's wrong with me. I need your help. I am in desperate need of you. Be focused around you. Tell him what your needs are. Then move yourself out and put the devil in the chair. I come against you in Jesus' name. You have no hold over me. This thing I wrestle with, my insecurity, my abandonment, abandonment my worthlessness, I refuse to be that in my life. I cast you out of my life in Jesus' name. God, give me the power to remove the enemy's power over me. We have divine power to demolish these things. He's given it to us, but you've got to be an active part of it. Remember the number one way the devil attacks you? Who remembers? Here it is. First, you can't, what you feel is not necessarily the truth. Where's that next slide? What you feel is not necessarily what's true, it's just what you feel. You can't trust or live off what you feel, but many times we do. The enemy's number one attack against you is what? He takes a little piece of truth from your life. He adds a bunch of lies. He wraps it all up. You've got to understand what he's doing in order to defeat him. And then he fires it in your brain all day long. Now, as long as you understand his attack, you can say, hey, that is what, what happened to me. But these are lies. And you can dissect those things and put those thoughts under the captivity of Christ and remove them. And God will begin to heal your life. This is his plan for you. Who wants to begin the journey this morning of breaking free from your strongholds? Anybody? I hope we all do. When we finally know what we've never knew we didn't know, Jesus shined the light into our hearts, showed us the issues of our life. Now he can begin that healing process. I'm going to have Brian come back. Here's what I'd like us to do. I want us to pray. I hope we can do this. Cause we've, been, we've been kind of in our groups, kind of our distancing and COVID, uh, you know, acceptance. So I want us to pray in a circle in your group. So in just a minute, I want you to kind of just form a little circle among 
your cabin. That's what you're in. You're, you're in your cabins. Think about your list. Put it in your head. Don't fear the list. You want to really get free? You want, you want some real tools to help you? Here's what I tell people. If on my list I have insecurity, abandonment, and worthlessness, here's what I'll do. Here's what I, many, I've seen people send me pictures of their bedroom wall covered with this. I got one last week from a, a young lady. The one said worthless. She took a cardboard cutout and wrote the word worthless and stuck it on her wall. I want to see it. I want to see what I've become because I know I can be healed. And then she Googled scriptures to help people who feel worthless. Y'all got Google, right? Just pull it up. And she printed out on the three by five cards the top five scriptures that spoke to her life about her value and her worth that fought against what she felt about herself. And she pinned them up on the wall. So there's worthless, then there's insecure, then there's uh, isolation. And she had a whole wall of her issues of her life and, and, and the word of God that was healing her through it. And she would get up in the morning every day and read them out loud, out of her mouth, into her own ears. Let the word cleanse over her life. And she began the process of breaking down the stuff. Then there's the step of dealing with those involved. That's a hard step. How many people have sat in my office, wrote the letter to dad, wrote the letter to mom, wrote the letter to that boyfriend in high school that did what he did back then? Tough stuff, people. And the freedom to go meet them and read that letter. And no matter what the reaction was, good or bad, didn't matter. It was their process of healing. This is, this is how God would have you to work through your life issues. Don't drag him into your future, into your marriage, into your parenting. That's not his plan for you, but nobody talks about it. We don't want to deal with it because most people, in my opinion, who are leadership of Christianity, they're great preachers or pastors or this and that, they got issues. We should all work the process of our issues healed by Christ before we ever step into a role of leadership. So be the ones who take the bold move to say, I'm not alone. And, and I know that God can heal me from the pains of my past and the things I've done because of it. And so let's all stand. Considering your list, leaders of your groups, just kind of get them in a little circle. Get them in a circle. And we'll just kind of hold hands. But just in your own circle. Kind of circle them up. Maybe step out of the aisle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's just join hands. If you just take a moment to kind of settle back, join hands or arms around you. Just bow your heads. Just close your eyes. Just, just take a moment. No talking, no looking around. Just, just let the Holy Spirit of God just speak to you right now. Let him show you you. Let him, let him help you understand, I've always been there with you and for you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God wants to do a healing and transform your life. He wants to take the things you've become, break them down where you can become something else. Through his spirit, his power, through sharing life together, he will do this process. So as you think of your list, 
and we're going to begin praying. I want you to pray for the person on your left. You probably know their name by now. As we pray, it says, confess your stuff to one another. You can do that in your group later. Pray for one another that God would heal you. So as we pray and go over this, just a song in the background, Brian will sing, you guys pray in your group. Pray for that person to your left. Let me pray for you first. God, we just thank you this morning that we can come to you. You are the light of the world, God. You shine into our heart and you make us sons of light. God, you, you renew us. You remake us. You create in us what you want us to be. We don't face, uh, or we don't fear facing the issues of our life. We take the things in our life that maybe are, maybe they're dark. Maybe they're, they're not fun. We take them out of the darkness. We bring them into the light. And your light shines and begins to break down and heal the very things that hold us uh, in, apart from you. God, do a work in the young people's lives this morning as they pray, as they pray for one another. God, break down the walls. Begin to heal, God, and set free in your name. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.